0: Today, we're speaking with Katie Lisnick. Katie is the Director of Cat Protection and Policy at the Humane Society of the United States, focusing on increasing interventions for and reducing community cats' populations through sterilization and vaccination programs, as well as keeping more cats in their homes and preserving a strong human-animal bond. Katie has an MS in Animals and Public Policy from Tufts University. She's the past president of the New England Federation of Humane Societies, and she serves as an advisor to the Maine Federation of Humane Societies. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So i was just wondering if you could share with, with our audience, um, how did you get started? Sure, sure. Uh, when I was little, I wanted to be a veterinarian, as I'm sure a number of your listeners probably did as well. Uh, you know, when you're young, that seems like you want to work with animals, that's the job that you want to aspire to. So I really focused on that path and uh, went on to the University of Vermont for my undergrad and really was focusing on pre vet. So I took all of the animal science classes and organic chemistry and all that lovely stuff, um, anatomy and physiology, but then they had as part of the animal science pre vet. Uh, curriculum, they actually had an animal welfare course. So while I was there and taking that course, I got really excited, I got really passionate about the issue of animal welfare and found that there are other jobs besides just being a veterinarian that I could do that would actually help me get to the issues that I really wanted to get to in an even better way. So from there, I went on to Tufts Vet School to do their master's program, which was all about public policy and animal welfare issues from courses to companion animals, to farm animals, research, and really teaches you how to evaluate the science that's out there uh, and to kind of take a, not necessarily a middle ground, because that seems sometimes like a a cop-out or or, uh, the easy path, but to really navigate successfully what's going to be effective public policy to both protect animals, but also to make sure that we are still keeping, you know, a civil society and, you know, everything that needs to happen in society is still happening. So that was really, really helpful. And then from there, I went on, and I actually work at the Animal Welfare Society, which is a shelter in southern Maine. When I was in high school, I was a kennel tech, got to spend most of my time with the cats there doing a lot of cleaning, seeing the cats coming in, seeing what sort of issues people were were bringing cats in for and surrendering, seeing the strays come in, getting a feel for animal control. And I did a stint as an animal control officer while I was at UVM as well, so got to see that side. Uh, But once I graduated from Tufts, I went and actually worked at that same shelter as their program coordinator. So I did all of their outreach and engagement, all the media, running all the programs, um, you know, doing special events like the kitten shower and parades and, and all sorts of different things. And it really let me get a good feel for some sort of the engagement piece and the community piece that the cats work, shelter work. TNR work, it's not happening in a vacuum. It's all related to the people and the community and all of the issues that are going on there. The animal stuff is not separate. And we really can't view ourselves as, oh, I'm an animal person. I don't like people because that's not going to get us to the things that we want to do for the animals. Uh, and then from there, I went on to the Humane Society of the United States. And I did the main state director job for about five years. So that one covered all issues farm animals research, anything that was going on in Maine that related to animal welfare, I had a hand in in some way, shape, or form. And a lot of the issues in Maine are cat issues. I mean, in Maine, we sort of have a handle on dog issues. There's not a lot of dogs in the shelters that can't find homes. You know, the sheltering system is really at the point where most animals in their care are finding homes, are getting out, out alive. Uh, but cats were still, at that time, were still a major issue. And certainly TNR needed to be brought to a higher level all over the state. As the state director, I was able to do a lot of work on the cap front simply because that was where that was where the conversation was at. That was what people were talking about. That was what people were frustrated with. That's where the need was. Uh, and so from there, it was a really nice transition um, when I got this job as the director of cap protection and policy. And was able to use all of the information and training and knowledge that I had gathered working in Maine and across New England uh, on cat issues and, and really then extend that all over the country. And now we're actually doing a lot of work internationally as well. That's extremely powerful information, and it sounds like many of the lessons that you learned while working more locally in Maine has, you know, transferred into some of your national work, and now you're also saying international work with regards to uh, community cats. Um, it, it sounds like, do you work more with regards to policy, or are you actually helping support hands-on PNR program development in communities? We do a little bit of both. Um, The bulk of our time, so it's myself and then we have a community cat program manager, Danielle. So the two of us spend 100% of our time on cat issues. And other people in our companion animals department do some cat work as well, but we, she and I focus all of our time on these issues. So we spend a lot of our time on policy. And that can be a really wide-ranging area. Um, You know, in some cases, it might be working with a a housing association or a landlord on their rental policies. You know, can you feed cats outdoors? You know, what if there is a colony? What, what, what can your tenants do? Or we're talking about decline or other issues that come into play with owned cats. So it might be policy at that very small local level. It could be an ordinance in a municipality. It might be state-level legislation, which we're doing more and more or it could actually be federal. So we're working with the Department of Defense right now, or trying to, so this is a little bit of a tough nut to crack, uh, or U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service on tax policy issues, you know, how they're navigating tax on national park land and all of that. So the policy issue is huge, and it really ranges the gamut of kind of size and shape. And then we also do... um, Another area of focus that we have is really trying to provide best practice information for people who are doing the work, the good work. Um, so we have things like an online course on colony level TNR, how to do it really well, uh, and that's brand new through our Humane Society Academy. We actually just put that out with um, in conjunction with Neighborhood Cats in New York City. We have things like webinars that have been recorded, all about how to target your efforts, community relations. I mean all of this- different topics that really need to come to bear to have a successful program. We're trying to make fact sheets on it, you know, training, any sort of information, information on the website, uh, just so that people who want to do the work have the tools that they need to do it really well. So we don't do a lot of hands-on. We do have a very small grant program that we can um, provide some funds for groups. We like to do things like buy traps, or space hacks or equipment that's going to increase capacity for the group. Uh, and then we sometimes will be able to get a little bit more granular and do some one-on-one mentoring with organizations as well. But that's right now because there's just two of us and this is such a big realm. Uh, we haven't delved quite as far into that as I'd like to see, but hopefully, you know, in the years to come, we'll be able to do more of that. What if you were, you know, picked up and moved to a brand new community and it was a community that, yes, population 50,000 people Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they had never had any TNR program or community cap program at all. What would be your first steps to action within that community? Well, I love collaboration. That's a major tenant of our work. This is a big issue and you really can't do it by yourself. So we need to be tapping in to anybody and everybody who's willing to contribute or who has an issue that they want to be heard. So I would be going, I would be setting up kind of an informal meeting, maybe at a coffee shop, and then spending my time advertising it and just inviting anybody who wanted to come and talk about cats to get together. And if they wanted to complain, I think it's really appropriate that they get heard because cats can be an annoyance outside uh, if they're going to the bathroom in your garden or they're, you know, getting muddy footprints on a car. I mean, we may not think, me personally, I might not care about that, but other people really do. And it is a major issue for them. So they need to be heard They need to feel like there's something that's going to help them or else we're going to be constantly caught in this battle and fighting over what is the right approach. So I would really set up a time for everybody to be heard. And then do some um, engagement on any of the groups that are already doing something for cats trying to figure out what's happening, whether there was a shelter in the area, whether there was an animal control officer or an animal control agency, um, veterinary offices in the community, kind of just gathering information about what they're seeing and what is possibly available to then hopefully put together a collaborative effort that gets everybody engaged on the issue and you touched upon some of the more contentious issues that affect community cats, talking about cats in neighbors' gardens that may not want cats. And then there's also the question of wildlife. And, and how do you work with the balancing act between community cats and wildlife? Yeah, it can be a very tricky situation. Uh, so the Humane Society of the United States is an organization that works to protect all animals. So we have our companion animal department, which I work work in. Right next door, down at our headquarters in the little cubicle land, um, we have a wildlife office, wildlife protection department. We have state affairs that contains all of our state directors and people doing grassroots engagement. You know, we have our wildlife care centers in three states. We have one in Massachusetts, one in Florida, and one in California. And they're actually getting wildlife that has been caught by cats and other, you know, other sources of injury. Uh, So they're seeing kind of the other side as opposed to what we're seeing within our companion animals world and hearing a lot from CNR advocates more heavy. And now, let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Flashlight Tag was fun when you were a kid, but no one wants to play hide-and-seek with their trap. Find your trap's location quickly and safely, even when you visit it at night, with the Reveal Wild application for Samsung Galaxy, HTC One, Sony, Xperia, and other Android phones. Or go to tinyurl.com forward slash Reveal Wild an organization, it's really been you know, several years now that we've been working internally. We have a, an internal cat and wildlife committee where there are folks that are interested in this topic from all of the different departments that touch on it. You know, We meet once a month, every other month, to talk these issues through, to make sure that we are strongly supporting effective programs and ultimately supporting our end goal, which is fewer unowned cats outdoors on the landscape. Uh, We recognize that cats can predate upon wildlife and they can cause issues in certain areas. We don't necessarily agree with some of the numbers that have been put out there by some wildlife researchers and wildlife biologists and and some of the studies that have been published. We think they're a bit exaggerated and uh, relying on some pretty scanty sample sizes to start with. But regardless of that, you know, we do recognize that it is a risk. We want to protect all animals. We want the cats to be safe. We want the wildlife to be safe. We want communities to be happy and healthy. So we really feel that effective PNR is the way to go. As an organization, we're championing that message with the caveat that the end goal is fewer cats outdoors. That makes sense. And then, you know, I have mentioned, uh, you know, a couple of times that where we had our original colony in Newburyport, Massachusetts, we are in a very high birding area. Mm -hmm. Many of our volunteers are Typing clover wardens in addition to volunteering at our shelter. So we have a lot of bird lovers, you know, and um, by, the, by the fact that we are able to keep the population of free-roaming cats down in the community, I think is a testament to the fact that we really haven't had any Major run-ins and we started so much earlier in the early nineties that I think that we were ahead of the game and we've got sort of enough of a jump on it, you know, before maybe this issue was presented publicly. And I think it's very important in areas, especially where there are specific populations being looked at, that there really is a very high level of TNR management going on in that, in that vicinity. Yeah, we sort of think about it as a matrix, So, and New Jersey did a really nice they They got everybody together in a collaborative method, talked it through, and they came up with, a, with kind of a matrix that is loosely still used today. You know, it recognizes that the, the vast majority of the area here, TNR is perfectly fine. There's not a lot of threatened and endangered species. You know, if there is predation, it may be on... You know, some introduced birds or introduced wildlife that are perfectly fine, you know, they're functioning really well, you know, the, the cat predation is not impacting them as a species. Uh, so TNR can really be done very easily and well in those communities then you sort of have the next tier of land where it's a little bit questionable. You know, maybe there's some factors there that there is some vulnerable wildlife, but, you know, the predation doesn't seem to be having as much of an impact on them as a whole. Uh, so those areas TNR can be done, it just needs to be a little bit more mindful or a little bit more heavily monitored or what have you. And then you have sort of the, the upper tier, which is the smallest amount of land, but that's the area where there really truly is conflict and there are threatened and endangered species that are being impacted by the cats that are nearby. And in those cases, you have to kind of take a look and say, okay, can TNR be done successfully here to protect all the animals involved? Or is there something else that needs to be done? You know, does a fence need to be erected around this, you know, vulnerable nesting bird population? Or, you know, should this small colony of cats be migrated out or relocated? Um, And then some safeguards put into place around the birds so those cats don't come back in. You know, so those areas, which there are definitely a lot fewer of them, which is good, uh, but those areas are the ones that we, you know, try to, to work on with the other folks involved, whether it's fish and wildlife or state. Department of Environmental Protection or what have you to figure out what other approaches could be used in those ultimate areas where the predation is really causing a major concern. Yeah, and you also have to look at the environment that those locations hold. I mean, in many of the areas that we are have dealt with, there's beach populations. So we're talking about a very transient beach community. You're going to have cats abandoned. So you have to have some sort of a monitoring presence there to deal with those, what I call the, the newly abandoned sort of Adam and Eve. And if you isolate a TNR monitoring program from that area, then the whole process is going to start all over again. Even if you do remove Mm -hmm. that group in that sensitive area, you could potentially make the area more vulnerable if you don't have that monitoring system still in place. So That's a worry that I would have by saying, okay, let's just pick up this group and move. If there isn't some sort of an aggressive safety net in place for people who do have to relinquish their pets at the end of their vacation season or whatever to ensure mm-hmm. that those pets don't end up out on the street in an unmonitored situation absolutely absolutely and that's why I, mean, I think the collaborative effort is so important to be able to build in that knowledge and that approach with not just you know say not just one organization in a community you know it's not just the shelter's responsibility it's not just the CNR organization's responsibility you know everybody needs to be thinking about these issues issues and motivated and working together towards the end goals so that there is that safety net. You know, if the, you know, if the TNR group has moved on and is doing some work over in, you know, the next neighborhood on some, on some colonies and some, but someone's still watching the area where they just were, you know, so it, so it really builds, like you said, this overall safety net across the country. Uh, and we're making sure that we're not flipping, you know, going here, doing good work and then leaving and then, stuff to start flip sliding back in and then we're back in the same situation we were, you know, five years ago. Right. That sustainability and the community involvement question is is very important so that everybody has the tools to understand, you know, how to respond when a cat is abandoned. I mean, ideally in our dream world life, we would all like to create an environment for cats where we don't have a situation where cats are abandoned. And mm-hmm. hopefully we will get to that point at some point across the country. But we're not there at the so, we have this reactive program of TNR to help our community cats, you know, have a good quality of life and be able to continue to be part of the community. I mean, many of these cats are quasi owned cats anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, we find it's, that in our pets for life communities that, you know, there, there had, there's, so these are pets for life communities are underserved communities where there are essentially pet resource deserts. There are no veterinarians, or if there are, you know, people don't have transportation to get there people can't walk, you know, miles and miles. There's no good pet food stores or supply stores. You know, you might have a convenience store on the corner that sells one brand of dog food and that's it. You know, these are areas where where folks have pets and they love them, but they can't get the services they need. And so the Pets for Life program goes in and provides resources for free. But what they found is there's a whole host of community cats in these neighborhoods that are quasi-owned. They're loved. They have names. They have multiple people who feed them. They just kind of wander around, do their thing, and they're just part of the community, and they were a very well-embraced part of the community. When they started talking with folks, they found that there had been PNR organizations that had come in in the past um, and sort of like, oh, this is a bad neighborhood, and I'm not trying to, you know, characterize anybody doing CNR negatively, um, but we we heard from the folks living there that some folks would come in at night and trap cats and remove them and never bring them back, thinking that it was better to get the cats out of this situation. They were at risk, um, you know, they weren't doing well. And, and the people were really resentful because they loved those cats and they wanted those cats back. And so they were very mistrustful at first with our team and with the organizations doing this work. Like, well, you're not going to bring the cat back. We're not going to tell you where the cats are. You know, we're going to go out and trip the trap. You know, we're not going to cooperate with you. And it took really a long time to get over that mistrust. You're like, no, we are bringing the cats back. You know, we totally get it. We just want to make sure they're not reproducing and that they're healthy. Uh, and so finally, once you convince one person and you show them yes the cats came back here's what we're doing here's how we can help you then it really spreads like wildfire because word of mouth is key uh, in these communities and they told everybody else Like they're good people they're going to bring the cats back it's okay but that level of mistrust uh, and fear that the cats would be leaving and not coming back was really incredible and it really speaks to just how embedded these cats are in the community even if they don't have a quote-unquote specific owner so let's look a little bit down the road here. If if you were sort of predicting what is life going to be like for community cats five or ten years down the road across the country? Well, I see a lot more uh, TNR program, you know, getting to be, I kind of use the term TNR machine. Um, so really taking off, really kind of hitting hitting the program stride and using the most effective tools. So I see targeting of communities and resources being much more widely embraced. I see an ongoing trend of shelters and animal care and control agencies not feeling that euthanasia of healthy cats is an appropriate response at all. Uh, and the wider community and our society not believing that lethal control is the right method that it's not going to do anything, and it's just not right for our society. It's not right for these animals. So a wider embracing of TNR policy uh, across the country, in municipalities, in counties, in states. I see, hopefully, that we're going to get beyond this cat versus wildlife debate and, and start working collaboratively together. I don't think it'll probably be gone totally in five years. But I hope that there's a little bit more recognition that we do have shared goals and we are trying to work together and we do want to see fewer cats out there. And if the wildlife interests truly want to see less predation, they're going to be you know, better set up by working with us than working against us. Uh, so that's my kind of pie in the sky. I hope <laughs> and I wish that that's going to happen. Um, but I definitely see TNR going full steam ahead. There, nothing's really stopping it right now. It's out there. There are small groups doing it. There are there are big groups doing it, and I just see that trend continuing. I, I look forward to see what life is like for community cats in the next five to ten years. I think it's going to be dramatic, and I think it will all be for the better. But I'll always say I'm, I'm always the optimist. So how? Can people find you if they'd like to reach out to you or find out more about what HSUS can offer community cats? Sure, so we actually have a couple websites that they could check out. One is humanesociety.org, uh, and if you just look up outdoor cats, you'll find a whole host of pages. We have sort of a landing page that has our position statement, has information on what individuals can do, what organizations can do. There's a whole policy page for uh, policy officials, there's a page about cats and wildlife all sorts of stuff there uh, that you can explore around. And then there's also animalsheltering.org. And so that's more of our shelter, PNR group, rescue focus site. So if you work or you volunteer or you're part of an organization like that, check out animalsheltering.org and we have a whole Protect cat uh, section. So if you look at the top of that website, Protect Cats, That'll bring you to all of our resources. We have a Managing Community Cap Guide for Municipal Leaders. And it really doesn't have to be municipal. It's anybody in the position of being a policymaker would find that helpful. Uh, we have all kinds of recorded webinars. That's where you can find the online TNR Colony course. You know, all of our resources are there. We have information sheets. I mean, anything that's there is free to download, um, to make use of in your community. We want to get it out. Into every nook and cranny of the country. Uh, and as far as contact goes, uh, we have cats at humane society .org. A pretty simple email, uh, just cats at humane society .org. So if you email that, you will reach both myself and Danielle, uh, and we're able to hopefully help you with whatever is coming up in your community. Katie, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, I think that it can be, it can be a challenging road. Sometimes it feels very disheartening if you have policymakers that don't really seem to get what you're trying to do, or you're running up against some really negative comments from local bird advocates or or wildlife advocates. But just to keep, you know, keep the faith, uh, you know, keep your spirit up. You are doing wonderful work and there are people out there who want to help. So don't be afraid to reach out. What I love about this field is that everybody that I have ever run into is so open and willing and wanting everybody else to learn from what they have have gone through. So they're always willing to share. If they've created this really cool form or this really cool document or guide, They want other people to use it. Like there's no selfishness in this field. There's no, oh, I created that. I'm the only one that can use that. People just want other people to benefit from what they've been able to do, which is so wonderful. So there are people out there, you know, if you're struggling with something, reach out, talk with people, you know, try to find resources because it's out there. There's no need to do anything from scratch. Uh, There's so much good work out there that we can all benefit from and build on, and we'll be creating wonderful communities for the cats, for the wildlife, and for the people. Katie, I want to thank you again so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show today, and I hope you'll be willing to join us again in the future. Thank you. This was great fun. Uh, I so am appreciative of you having me on, and absolutely, I would love to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. If you could go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. When you do, take a screenshot of your review, go to communitycatspodcast.com forward slash review and enter your information and we'll send you a t-shirt. While you're there, don't forget to check out all the ways you can support the content you're passionate about. Thanks, everyone.